Hello, and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This is a fortnightly look at the technologies that are going to affect our lives in, wait for it, the near future. Now, one of the frustrations about doing a futurist podcast is the predictions in the past have gone so wrong. I'm in the UK, and we used to have a TV programme called Tomorrow's World, which once predicted clothing would be made from recycled items, and it showed people wearing stitched together 45 RPM records and CDs, all sorts of junk, as if they were clothes. Now, I admit that's kind of happened, but what they didn't anticipate was that the manufacturers would make these things look like clothes first. Not a bad idea. But more importantly than that, we were all supposed to have flying cars by now, weren't we? I mean, where have they gone? Did the Jetsons die for nothing? Actually, hold that thought, not about the Jetsons, but about the car. So let's introduce our guest for today. He was the Ernst & Young 2015 Entrepreneur of the Year in Slovakia, and he hasn't relaxed after that. In a previous life, he was founder and CEO of C2i, a leading engineering and manufacturing company supplying carbon fibre components to most premium automotive companies. He sold a large controlling stake of C2i to LG Houses, an LG Group company, obviously from the name, and now focuses on his current company, Aeromobile, which makes, of course, flying cars. His name is Patrick Hassel. Patrick, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Hello. You're more than welcome. As first of all, can you tell me a little bit about uh, Aeromobile? Aeromobile is uh, poised to bring to market true flying cars. Aeromobiles, we call them, which are single vehicles providing door-to-door -door travel on the road and through the air. The company has a 10-year history of design and development and also key patent positions around the drive fly technology. So the Aeromobile uses existing road and air transport infrastructure, unlike other uh, vehicles like the EV tolls, which are the, the, the electric vertical takeoff and landing type of vehicle. We have, um, we're well on the way in the progress with the Civil Aviation Authority certification process as to the EASA CS23 certification. And our team and board consists of industry veterans from automotive, aerospace, and airline operations. We are based in terms of the engineering office in, in Slovakia, Bratislava, and the business team is uh, really across the US and Europe. And as such, we're looking to be a vertically integrated asset light and multi-revenue stream company, looking to have a first flying car in 2023 with a, a two-seater and then coming out with a, a three-seater uh, in 2025. And I'll tell you about that uh, later, I suppose. Sure. I mean, I mentioned the Jetsons. I'm sure you'll have heard all those jokes. And likewise, I remember watching The Man with the Golden Gun as a child in which the bad guy gets away from James Bond by turning his car into a plane. Now, I'll be honest, I'm unlikely to need to get away from James Bond in my uh, time. So why in the real world do we actually need flying cars? What's the advantage? The, our first vehicle is, is a, a two-seater, and that's repositioned within the B2C market. So you're selling it direct to a uh, consumer. And I'm personally also a pilot and a, I have multiple sports cars and I enjoy both worlds. So I would say one of the answers to that is from a purely functional point of view that I can imagine many trips that I could do um, within, with a flying car that would take me maybe two, three hours, which otherwise would take me maybe six, seven hours by car. 
and which are just difficult to do in any other way. So it basically, we could argue, it, it, it extends my radius of life of where I would really choose to go. I would not maybe choose to go somewhere if it takes me like seven hours by car for a weekend or, or even a, a potentially business meeting, which I would choose to do if it takes me only two, three hours. So that's uh, one uh, kind of use case, one reason. Another reason is, I mean, basically, why do people own high-performance cars or supercars? They don't typically drive them, you know, 400 kilometers an hour on, on the road. It's, it's largely also for, for the, uh, the enjoyment of having a very special type of vehicle. So these are sort of also collectors. And uh, we see definitely that, that, that that's one element of why you want to have a flying car because it's ultimately very cool. It's a very distinctive type of product. A lot of really complex um, engineering behind it. Plus it's a, a beautifully looking vehicle. So I would say you have both aspects, the, the functional aspect and, and the uh, non-functional aspect. That's really for the vehicle that, that you can own. And then there is also a, a, the next generation vehicle that we are developing is a three-seater, one pilot, and two seats in, in the back, which are business class seats. And in that vehicle, you can order a trip from literally a door-to-door trip. It's an aerial ride-hailing service. You order the vehicle straight to your house. It comes targeted within 60 minutes, and it, it delivered, you know, drops you off at your final destination. So it's an alternative way of traveling and you don't have to own the vehicle. So there's different reasons why I would say you, you know, you want to have a flying car, use the service of that. Tell me about the technology behind it. What, uh, what makes it run? I understand, uh, for example, these are convertible cars you're talking about. You can actually drive them along the road and they convert into a flying car. Yeah, that's right. So our flying car is a vehicle that has four wheels. It can drive on the road like a, any normal car. And then you, I mean, the, the front cabin resembles that of a, of a sports car. It's, it's wider than a small aircraft. Uh, also, it's more comfortable as a result, and it's, it's more familiar to kind of the sports car owners. And then you, you can drive, you drove, drive to a grass strip runway, or um, even a, a, just a strip of, uh, you know, on your, on your pro- private property, you press a button and the wings, which are stored behind the cabin, basically fold, fold backwards, they unfold by 90 degrees. And in that moment, it, it, literally the vehicle looks like a, it is a fixed wing aircraft in that moment. We have other unfolding elements like the rear bumper, for example, and, and other smaller elements and in that moment you can literally take off just like uh, if you were a small airplane you land you follow the wings backwards and you continue driving straight off the runway uh, to your your next destination i mean one of the challenges from an engineering point of view is how do you merge the automotive and aerospace requirements right and there's quite different obviously objectives when you when you design each but one of what, what it ultimately comes down to is and say is weight we are adding some automotive features and the technology into the vehicle which makes it heavier and as a result um, we basically on our two-seater you can you can only carry basically two people instead of maybe 
four to five people that you could in a maybe an equivalent type of size aircraft. And the range we have is around 450 miles, which is definitely less than you would have in a fixed wing aircraft. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's, that's what, what makes it possible, just that you have less, less of a payload, less of a range, but with the benefit of being truly flexible on the ground and, and in the air, you can make the decision whether to drive or to fly um, anytime, just yourself. Forgive me for being cynical, but there is a major trend away from high fuel consumption at the moment worldwide, uh, even moving to electric vehicles. I'm just wondering how the flying variety of vehicles stack up in that world. Our um, first vehicle is a uh, is powered with a hybrid powertrain. So the in, in the air it's powered by an internal combustion engine, and on the ground it's powered uh, fully electrically. And so that's that's our first phase. And basically, with time, as the battery energy density improves, we are going to also implement a fully electric version. But um, that that will require where it requires some time. There's still um, you know a lot of development to be done on the market to achieve that, and uh, pretty much that's in line with the general trends in aviation, where you see uh, already you know first R&D projects in fully electrified aircraft, but still in terms of the real you know emergence of such such planes commercially, they're, they're, they haven't um, haven't started yet. But I would say we're pretty much very much aligned with that general trend towards full electrification. Do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode? If you talk to the press or other media, are you worried you'll be misquoted or they'll just publish their story and not yours? Clapperton Media Associates can help with coaching. Drop me a note, guy at clapperton.co.uk and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, that may have anticipated my next question, of course, which is about, at the moment, people are urged to use public transport where possible to avoid pollution and to avoid having to create too many vehicles, of course. I'm just wondering whether an individual trying a flying car actually um, goes against that at all. Again, I, I would say, I mean, one of the benefits of a flying car or even an airplane is that you can go a direct route. So the actual uh, number of kilometers or miles that you travel are are less than, for example, with a car. Still, the fuel consumption per distance is higher. So that can balance out or potentially uh, against you. So it's it's not really the transport mode that will be the, the least polluting or but at the same time, again, uh, in the in the in the midterm, we are moving also towards a fully electric powertrain, and um, then uh, then it's really really all a question about the shift of the energy production to renewable energy production. I think it's no no good if you just have an electric powertrain if the electricity put inside has been produced with you know, burning fossil fuels. So I think that's a more, uh, just a wider discussion on when the, the energy production will actually shift to renewables. And then once we achieve that, I think you have a fully um, renewable system and uh, we can offer that as well. And 
we have that in our uh, airmobiles. That's very clear. Thank you. Uh, one thing that occurs to me is, of course, we're about to see a major revolution in uh, drone technology. So it's going to be flying objects which are, have not got people in them. That's going to cause a lot of changes in the regulatory environment. You've got to regulate, you've got to uh, legislate. If you've got to allow for flying cars, is there any uh, legislation there in place yet? Is that, um, is that being considered? How are we going to actually administer all this? Where we have gone out to design a flying car after having done the first couple of prototypes in the years 2010 to 2014 was um, to design the vehicle around existing legislation as a car and separately as a plane in order not to have to um, you know, negotiate new type of regulations with the legislators. So basically in the car mode, we are um, certifying the, the vehicle as, as a car. We need to satisfy all the standard requirements of the car. The fact that it has, say, wings, um, that it carries wings on its back is in that moment not, a, not an issue for that certification. And likewise, for an airplane, we are basically fully um, developing within existing regu regulations and, and legislation. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Tell me about learning to drive one of the things. I can drive a car, but I can't pilot a plane at the moment. So what would I need to learn if I were to decide to acquire one of these? The good thing, first of all, you can own and drive a flying car just with your uh, you know, normal driving license because you can just drive it on the road, which you cannot do when you have a, an airplane. And of course, in order to fly it, you need to be a, a you have a need to have a private pilot license, a PPL, which is let's say the standard pilot license you need to to fly a small airplane, and I mean that takes around forty five hours of practical experience plus some some theory in order to do. Of course, there's you know a lot less pilots than people driving cars, but at the same time, even you know hundred years ago, people couldn't imagine that pretty much everybody will have a a driving license and look look today it's, it's just became a standard norm I'm not saying that we will see that in, in in 10 years that everybody has a pilot license but still it's very much um, something you you can do if you're enthusiastic about it and uh, it'll take you maybe you know three to six months to do so okay we get to the um size of the market in a second which you just alluded to and i think that is important but i would like to stick with the practicalities for the moment safety has to be concern a concern about this enough people too many people are killed and injured at ground level um if you're falling out of the sky there's an even lower chance of survival so tell me about safety yeah first of all safety is the key design consideration for the vehicle and it always has been because we recognize that just so important for, for the whole viability of the product and as a result for the company. So as such, in the air, we consider this to be potentially the safest aircraft because of a couple of, of uh, aspects. First of all, it has a vehicle recovery ballistic parachute, meaning you can uh, pretty much pull the parachute and the whole vehicle, the whole flying car as such, Will, um, will come down relatively slowly in, in the parachute. That's one thing you can deploy. So you can do, use that um, you know, in all sorts of emergencies. And on top of that, because we have to, um, unlike uh, any aircraft, satisfy the automotive certifications, there is a lot of 
requirements about the structure of the mono of the basically the chassis and basically we have designed a carbon fiber crash um and crash structure from the front and the whole structure in which you sit is a carbon fiber monocoque or like a carbon fiber chassis really which is significantly stiffer than any aircraft would would ever have because airplanes are not designed for crash and uh, where, where whereas cars are so that's uh, an additional benefit you're basically protected in that in that cell and on top of that we are um, also incorporating air and airbags which are basically systems which which you don't have in, in an airplane so basically adding automotive safety technology into an air into an aircraft is just increasing the safety of um, the aircraft and as such of of the flying car Okay, the other practical point, of course, is um, I have an okay income myself, and already my I can't possibly afford this glands are going into overdrive. Uh, to what extent is this a rich person's toy? You've compared it to a classic car, for example. So the first vehicle, the two-seater, is uh, definitely going to be quite expensive. It's going to be uh, uh, around $1.7 million. So it is a vehicle that uh, surely only few people can afford. But partially that's also a uh, one of the reasons is that we want to position it as a very unique vehicle that um, is not for everybody. And partially um, it's also, of course, more expensive to, to develop and we have to recover the, the R&D costs. So the first vehicle is limited, I would say, to um, yeah, to the number of people. Now that's why the second vehicle we are democratizing the use of the flying car, and that um, basically with this aerial door-to-door ride hailing, where you can order yourself a flying car to your house through an, an app, you basically in that moment um, pretty much. Most people in the in the Western world, at least, can uh, can afford it at least on an occasional uh, basis. Of course, it's it's a lot cheaper than, for example, private aviation, but it's still going to be more expensive than just driving your your own car. But it's definitely uh, moving the the whole use to to, to the masses. Basically. Okay, so how big do you imagine the market's actually going to be for this? So when we look at um, our sweet spot in terms of the use, especially now we're talking about the ride hailing service, and that's the, the, the main the main market really in, in, in the long run, then we have to look at the sweet spot in terms of the distance. And we see this to be around 150 to 500 miles in terms of the distance. And then we need to look at how do people normally do these trips? So that's typically either by car and largely by car. Then there is a commercial aviation and there's private aviation. In some parts of the world, you have good train networks, although in many parts you, you, you don't. For example, in the US, the train network is actually rather poor and, and at times just not existent. And uh, you look at the number of trips and from just looking also at the, at the time saving and the, the cost to alternatives, we estimate basically the, the the number of trips we can we can sell per year, and we see this in the many millions of, of trips, which just across the U.S. alone, uh, which would be our starting point. And uh, there, we 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 then talking about many thousand 
vehicles that would be out there on the market within this B2C, uh, with B2B2C, sorry, within the ride hailing segment. Now within the, the first vehicle, the two-seater, the, the private uh, to be privately owned type of vehicle, that you know, the number is going to be much smaller looking at uh, within the hundreds of, um, of vehicles. Okay, and uh, you were running through some of the timescales earlier. Could you just run through those again when we can start to see working models actually in the sky? Sure, so our two-seater is going to be launched in 2023, and the five-seater we're planning for late 2025, which is, um, sorry, our three-seater, did I say that? And that's, yeah, that's gonna be about two years later, that's a vehicle for the area right hailing service okay and finally in case people would like to put their name down and order one because i'll be honest with you i do have a birthday next month if my family's listening um where can people find out more about yourself and about about um, aeromobile i think the best way really is on our webpage aeromobile.com you can also follow us on social media obviously all the standard media platforms and that's it okay patrick hessel of aeromobile thank you very much for joining me Thank you very much for having me. And of course, many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or indeed my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Music